Hi, this is Matt Shaw, pastor at City Lift Church. If you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love for you to come visit us on a Sunday sometime or join us online, citylift.church. We hope today's message fills you with courage and helps you on your spiritual journey. We exist just to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. Enjoy today's message. All right. Good morning, everybody. How is everybody this beautiful, cloudy Sunday morning? Come on. All right. Why don't you look at two or three people and say, what's up? No, remember that from back in the 90s? Uh, who's, who's old enough to see that? Remember that commercial? Oh, my gosh. My name is Matt. If you don't know me, great to have you here. Thank you for being our guest today. We hope you feel welcomed and have an awesome time. We have a welcome box for you uh, right after this. Also, give it up for our podcast listeners, man. We're gaining some traction constantly on podcasts. And uh, we, uh, it's just, I don't know, it's just good to get God's word out. It really does change our lives. This morning, we are going to talk, uh, we're continuing our series on spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about how the enemy grows a lie in our mind and how we really can use God's word to build a mind on the rock of Christ and how we get into conditioning strength. Uh, I had a lunch with a good friend of mine. His name is Russ, and uh, Russ is an army uh, guy. He still still works in the army, but back in the day, my friend Russ was big and tough. Uh, he is like a professional, like jujitsu and boxing, and I mean, this guy is is insane. And he's he's one of the kind of guys that just like it's like you could harm me with your pinky. You know what I'm saying? And I I'm not the smallest guy. And so this one time, Russ was like, "Hey, let's go work out together for a little bit." And I'm working out with my buddy Russ, and then he's like, "Hey, hey, do you ever let's let's try some moves and stuff?" And in my mind, I'm like, "Yeah, I can give this guy a run for his money." Like, I, I know I'm not the, the, the biggest guy, but I'm not the smallest guy, right? And, and I was like, dude, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this fun for him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go all out, right? And uh, this was several years ago. In fact, we were actually at his house. We're outside in his backyard, and we're going we're gonna to go at it for a little bit, right? And, uh, and I'm, in my mind, I'm like, this is going to be fun. I've got, you know, I took some martial arts when I was younger. I was like, I, I, I got this. And uh, my wife was there, and my daughter, my son, his two sons were there, and, and his wife, right? So we're all, we're all having a picnic, and I think we had hamburgers or tacos or something. And so we're out in the back wrestling. And, uh, man, I got to be humble, and I got to be honest and say it was about 20 seconds in that he got my shoulder in, in, the, in a lock, right? And then we're like, okay, let's go again. And then he got my neck in a lock, you know? And then he got my leg in a, a lock, right? And then we go again a little bit more, and then he, he gets me in some weird, like, hip lock. Like, I look like an idiot on the grass, and he's literally locked my hip, got his elbow in my neck, and, and I'm like, bro, I hate you. Like, you know, like, it was like 10 minutes of humiliation with, with my buddy Russ here, you know? And the, and the worst part is, like, yo, my, my wife is watching all of this, my man. Like, like come on, like, you know? And uh, it was funny. Afterwards, I, it was like that moment of, of humbling a little bit, right? Where I'm like, why did you think you could even have a chance against somebody who spent their entire life conditioning for conflict? Why do you think you could match somebody who is a professional, right, who spent his entire 20-somethings and 30-somethings conditioning for a moment like this. This morning, I want to help you condition your mind and get ready for the wrestling match that will no doubt come your way. 
I'm from the country, so it's a wrestling match. Anybody with me this morning? It's a wrestling match. It is a spiritual warfare battle. It's not going to happen on a grassy backyard. This battle will happen in your mind. Can I help you condition this morning for the battle that is before you? 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Notice 1 Peter doesn't say, have a mind of terror, be afraid, get scared, he's after you. It doesn't say that. We talked about that last week, right? We are not afraid because we have authority, but what he is saying is be alert, be aware, Right When you leave here this morning and you drive back home, I don't want you to be terrified, but I want you to be alert. I want you to recognize a red light and a green light and the person that's most inevitably going to cut you off. Not terrified, not afraid. You have power and authority, but be alert, the Apostle Peter is telling us. The enemy is 100% going to approach your mind somewhere. As believers, you need to know that. The battlefield is in your mind. If you're a believer here this morning, God lives in your spirit. You're born again, the Holy Spirit who's moved in. The Bible actually says that your body is now the temple of the living God. God lives on the inside. He's no longer in a building or a temple or a tabernacle. You're it. He's moved in. The enemy, if you're a believer this morning, does not live on the inside of you, but he will sit right next to you and talk to you. God and his sovereignty has given the devil the ability to talk and tempt us and talk to us. Before you get discouraged, he also let the devil come and talk to Jesus. Think about that. He literally talked to Jesus and he tempted Jesus and he, it was actual real temptations, right? Like, let me give you this or that. And he had the ability to talk to him. Here's what I found. God has given the devil the right to talk to me. God has given me the right to ignore the devil. I have authority over the devil. I have the right to ignore the devil, but he does have the right to talk to me and tempt me, and he will undoubtedly come and talk to you. The devil will always start out with a small lie, which will grow into a significant lie, which will turn into a full stronghold if you let it. He will always start out small with a little bit of truth and a little bit of lie. When he first talked to Eve, he said, did God say? It wasn't even a lie. It was just a question. I just want you to question the love of God. I want you to question the faithfulness of God. I want you to question the goodness of God. Oh, no, no, you'll know about life and death. And, but the reality was she already knew about life. She just didn't know about death. It's always a subtle little slide in your mind. Hey, what about this? It's just a small, seemingly so insignificant, innocent little thing that turns significant into a stronghold. I asked a buddy once, I was like, why does it seem like when the enemy talks to me, it's like just this loud, like threatening kind of thing, and, and God's voice always seems so quiet and so small. And he said something that I never forgot. He said, you know, when you're sitting next to your wife and you're watching a movie and you're cuddling, you don't turn around and scream in her face, I love you. And, and in fact, the more intimate the moment, the quieter it is. And he said, never forget, God loves you. He's not going to scream at your face. That's a really powerful point. The enemy doesn't love you. You ever, you ever notice how little dogs bark the loudest? 
The devil is a little dog. He's got a loud voice with little power. God has a soft voice with unlimited power. Try to keep that in your heart. He, he lives inside. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. Your weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. Again, small lie, significant lie, stronghold. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. A stronghold is a series of lies that someone has believed that the enemy has told them or that the enemy has told them through a person and that they have purchased. The enemy has offered it, but we often purchase that lie. We bring it in and we make it our own. And the Bible says we have authority to tear down strongholds. Now, you can't handcuff the devil. You can't slap him in the face. You can't slap his mama, right? But what, what is it? You have authority and power in the spiritual realm to take authority over his lies. And so we want to do that through prayer and submission and obedience, right, to God's, God's word. Now, the power of God, I want you to hear this, is able to destroy every single stronghold that the devil has. You and I have authority over the devil, but we do not have authority over somebody else's will. As an early baby believer, this is something I had to learn the hard way a few times. I realized God, yes, has given me authority over the devil, but I don't have authority over Matt. I don't have authority over Michelle. I don't have authority over Arlene. I can tell Arlene to do something. She's going to do whatever she wants, right? And I know Arlene. So in fact, the more I tell Arlene what to do, she's going to do the opposite anyway. I'm messing a little bit this morning. But I don't have authority over another human being, but I have authority over the enemy. This is why intercession is so powerful. Sometimes we, we talk and, and we shout when we should pray and serve, right? How do you approach somebody? Sometimes the worst thing, you want somebody to do the opposite. How many of you are married and you know this is about married, about the truest thing you've ever heard? How many of you, you want your spouse to do something and if you come at them and tell them what to do, like you're not going to get the result you want, right? So we have to uh, try a different uh, approach, right? It's all in our approach. But we do have authority in the spiritual realm over the enemy and over these, these lies. And, and I definitely have authority over what happens in my mind. Your mind is God's gift to you. It's God's gift to you. He gave you your mind. My first point this morning in getting ready and getting conditioned for us, I want you to, number one, I want you to take ownership of that. Take ownership. Imagine your mind. You are the owner of this apartment complex. Don't rent any rooms out to the devil this morning. He won't pay rent. He'll trash the apartment. He'll pee on the sink, right? Like he'll just, it's like he'll just ruin the whole, anything you give him, he'll ruin in your mental space. I want to take ownership. God, my mind is God's gift to me. And I don't have authority over your mind and what you think about, but I do have authority over my mind and what I think about. I had a great aunt, and she said something to me. I, I loved it. She said, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. Not every thought is your thought. Sometimes thoughts really do come from the enemy. These are fiery darts, the Bible says. And I can't stop every temptation. I can't stop every attraction. I can't stop everything that comes in my mind. But you know what I can do? I can decide how long it stays, how thick it gets, how much I entertain it, I can control the nest in my hair, right? So I want to take ownership. This is my mind, my apartment complex. Ephesians 4.27 says, don't give any place to the devil. I like that. Don't give him any space. Don't give him an apartment. We've been on vacation the last 
few weeks. I got, a, I got a picture of my garden. See all those weeds in my garden? I left three weeks ago, and it looked good. That is a beautiful baby hibiscus growing there outside of one of my windows, and I'm excited. And then there's a bunch of weeds in my garden. Imagine your mind as a garden. You not only need to plant the right things, you need to pull the wrong things. How many of you know a weed is easy to pull when it's little? It's harder to pull when it's grown a little bit. It's easier to weed your garden regularly than leave it unattended for six months. Some of you haven't thought about what you're thinking about for like a whole year, and you wonder why your mind is such a mess. Why am I so emotional, Pastor? Well, have you thought about what you've been thinking about? Have you gardened your soul? Have you planted some right things and pulled some wrong things? What's growing in the garden of your mind? It's hard to stay in joy. It's hard to stay in peace. It's hard to keep this word in front of you. I get it. It's the same for me. I'm a human being too, going through the 2020s. I've got to pull wrong things and plant right things. What's growing in your garden? They quickly grow out of control. Your mind does not lend itself to God naturally. you got to get in conditioning. A garden doesn't grow perfect naturally. It takes attention and, you know, time and effort that what I have found the more you garden your mind the easier it becomes if you let the garden go for like six months or a year it's going to take some effort you're going to try to make an effort to be at peace this week and it's going to be challenging you're going to try to choose joy and it's going to be challenging you're going to try to forgive that person and it's going to be challenging at first you got to give it a lot of effort and really eating the God's word but if you do that and you stay consistent eventually you'll start gardening this thing correctly Number two, embrace transformation. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That word transformed in the Greek is literally, it's kind of where we get our word metamorphosis from. God is literally saying, I want you to go from this caterpillar, all right, to this butterfly. That is metamorphosis. It's transformation. It's going in one way and coming out the other way. You can throw the butterfly back up there for me, right? Okay, God's like, I want your mind in the end to look like this, but it doesn't start there. So I need you to take my word and go through a process of transformation. You ever, you ever heard that old statement like, yes, God loves you, but he loves you too much to leave you there? He literally loves you too much to leave you in your pain and your hurt and your brokenness, and he will change you, right? But you got to embrace the process that he wants to put you through. So many people in our generation, we love the promise, and I love the promise too, but we don't like the process. And we are most likely the most narcissistic generation in human history, Right? I mean, we want it now. I want to microwave it. I want it delivered. I want to Grubhub my, my deliverance. I mean, it's just like I want to outsource it. I, if it's difficult, I don't want to do it. And I get that, okay? But with God, guys, here's what I have learned, baby. God is an oven. He is not a microwave. And he will put you in that oven, and he will bake you for 10 years. And you come out with your anger and your attitude and all this stuff, and God's like, well, 
back in at 450 for a little bit longer, you know? Like he will just turn up the heat and let the fire go. And what is he doing? He's purifying you, and none of us like the process. But if you don't go through the process, you'll never get to all that he has for you. Why? Because you'll be too immature to handle what he actually has for you at the end. Right? The blessing will often turn your heart away from him if he doesn't get your heart. God getting you the promise is easy. Getting your heart is hard for him. And so he puts us through a process. Ephesians 4.23 says, be made new in the attitudes of your minds. What's interesting is they're talking to believers. They've been born again. God's moved in. He's saying, but your mind, that's got to be made new. You need a new attitude in your mind. You've got to have some transformation. One of the reasons I've stayed a believer for 20 plus years is because this actually works. I have found it to be true that God's word works. My mind is in one piece because of his word. How many of you have been following Jesus for more than a decade? Right? Can you see that his word works? It keeps your mind together. You're going to have peace. Come on, in the, in the storm. I can, I can have joy even though I'm in pain, right? I, I can be still even though there's conflict around. His word works. It keeps my mind together. Amen. One of the things that I, I can honestly say is when I started out following Jesus, I was so discouraged, so depressed, terrible self-esteem. And, and today, God, 20 years later, God has led me to a place of mental flourishing. Do I do everything perfect? Do I still make mistakes? Of course I do. But I've learned to say, you know what? We all make mistakes. Get back up and keep going. I've learned to love myself through the process of embracing his word. Amen. want to get a donut out this morning. And I know it's rude to eat a donut in front of you, and I'm sorry about that. I've got this donut here this morning. Uh, how many of you love donuts? Jesus, help us. We love donuts, right? They're so good. My God. Um, how many of you know that I can be right next to a donut and never intake the caloric goodness of this donut as long as I'm next to it? I can be around it. I can sniff it. All that sugary glazed goodness. But if I don't intake the donut, I never will receive what the donut has to offer. So many believers are sitting right next to God's word and never in taking his word. They're coming on Sunday and they're sniffing it, but they forgot to take it home and digest it. And if you don't intake his word, you will never experience the transformative power of his word. I've got to eat the donut to receive what it actually has to offer. There was a study done on believers a few years ago, and it found that a believer, if they will listen to or read the word just four times a week, that for whatever reason, at the number four, their life really began to shift. They found that they were able to leave destructive habits and patterns of thinking. Some of them were able to quit gambling, right? They're, they were actually had power to follow Jesus, their lives begin to change it, just reading the word just four times a week, not even for that long, but picking up the word and eating it four times a week seemed to give them the spiritual strength to change. Apparently, just four spiritual meals a week will do it. If, if you worked out but you never ate, you wouldn't get any stronger. I wonder today if we are, are somewhat of a weak church, not just our church personally, but the whole body of Christ, because we're not intaking the word anymore. 
And, and no condemnation here this morning. This is, it's not a downer message. But could I just challenge you to take God's word home and eat it just a few times a week? Right? If, if you don't have a lot of time like me and you got kids, I get it. Play it while you're driving to school or play it on your way to work or read his word, you know, while you're on the toilet or whatever, you know. I don't know. Instead of scrolling and getting angry and reading the news, maybe just pick up the book of John or something. I don't know, you know. Intake his word. Intake his word. Joshua 1.8 says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you might be careful to do everything written. Then you will be prosperous and successful. You want to be a successful Christian, meditate on the word. You cannot successfully follow Christ without intaking the nutrients that he said. He said, these words of mine, these are life. This is your bread. This is your food. And you can live off of it. You have to intake it. Last point for us this morning. When in doubt, be humble. We live in a generation where everyone believes they are right. We really do, right? I mean, we just do. We're not listening anymore. We're screaming. We're yelling. I get it. I get it. I get it. What if we started with, as a church, instead of I know everything, to maybe, maybe I don't know it all? Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the people that say, maybe I'm not as righteous as I thought. Maybe I don't have it all together like I thought I did. Maybe I'm not 100% accurate on everything. Right? If some of those thoughts never roll through your mind, I don't know, can I encourage you to consider maybe you're wrong? Could I, could I just encourage some humility this morning? Romans 3, 4, let God be true and every human being a liar. Wow. All 8 billion of us. What if we were right? God would say, you know what? I'm still right. Y'all wrong. Let God be true and every human being a liar. Maybe in our finite minds, they say we only use like one-tenth of our brain anyway. How are you going to outsmart God with one-tenth of your mind? Right? Like how, how is that possible? When I read something in God's word that I personally don't like, I have a few choices. I can ignore it. I can try to change it, or I can let it try to change me. When I read something in God's word that I don't like, I can ignore it. I can try to change it. We are really good at making simple things complex when we don't want to do them. You know, and that starts young. My daughter at eight is already really good. Hey, baby, pick up those dishes. Oh, I will later, Dad. You know, like she's learned not to say no. She's just going to say later. Like she's just like she's going to get around it. Like she's, she's smooth, right? Or I can let it change me. When I read the word, I don't want to just read it. I want the word to read me. Psalms 25, 9. The Lord leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Why? Because the pride have no space to receive anything from anybody. Right? But when I'm humble, I'm saying, hey, teach, teach me, God. And I'm, when I'm humble, I can learn from others. You know, I don't know it all. Te teach me. I want to be open. I want to receive. I want, I want space in my mind that maybe I'm wrong and God is, is right. Humility, listen to this church, keeps me in a safe place. It keeps me in, in a safe place. You know the worst part about being deceived? Is that you've been deceived. That's the worst. You're in the seventh grade. She told you she was going to be with you forever. And you believed her. Right? No, come on. It's cute in middle school, but in real life, when somebody tricks you, woo, here come the lawyers, baby. Like, it gets real. 
It gets real. Humility keeps me in a safe place spiritually and with God. Maybe, maybe I don't know it all. There's a Pareto principle called the 80-20 rule. 80%, you know, is responsible for 20%. 20% is responsible for 80%, you know. And I've just kind of learned to live by like that. And the way I look at that theologically is I'm like, you know, probably 80% of my theology is correct. You know, maybe 90%. I don't know. I hope so, you know. Probably 10, 20% is probably not correct, you know. I, I think it's 100% right. That's why I think it, you know. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I get to heaven and Jesus is like, hey, you were wrong about all that. Wow. You know, thanks for letting me in anyway. You know, I guess, like, you know, I don't, I don't know. How can any of us be 110% right about everything? It's not possible. There's too much I, I don't know. 1 Corinthians 3.18, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you might become wise. Uh, last illustration here for me this morning. I brought this coffee cup. This used to be a pair. It was two of these coffee cups. Now, I, I'm a little funny. I love great coffee in the morning. Like, I will spend a little money on a great cup of coffee, right? I like to, I like, uh, to make it myself. I got a certain way. Uh, and, and I'm a little, also a little weird. I, I love great coffee mugs. Like, I don't, I don't like just cheap little coffee. I want to drink great coffee out of a great coffee mug. And, and I have a whole, like, I've got two shelves and a whole little station in my kitchen that designated just for coffee. If you come to my house, there's a couple of Nespresso machines, which is my wife because she's Italian and she likes espresso, okay? And I like the drip coffee. And so, so, like, we've got our own little coffee station. We're big coffee people and we're parents. And so we live off coffee and Jesus anyway. And so I, I, I really am very particular about, about coffee mugs and certain mugs. And I just, I just enjoy this mug. I like the way it is. I, I like the, the kind of coarseness on the bottom. And so I had two of these, right? And I had them for about a year. And then, and then my brother-in-law, Kenny, came over one day, and, and he said, hey, I'm going to take those mugs with me now. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah. He goes, we bought those for me. And I'm like, no, we didn't. Those are my coffee mugs. They've been here for like a whole year. Go get your own coffee mugs. And so Kenny and I have this whole debate for like 15 minutes over whose mugs they actually are. And we got to the point where it was an impasse and I had to get my wife involved. And she goes, oh no, we bought those for Kenny. No, we didn't. We didn't buy those for Kenny. These are my coffee mugs. I've had these for an entire year. I love these mugs. Do not take my mug. And then we got my mother-in-law involved. She goes, no, no, I was there. I'm the one that bought them actually. I bought them for Kenny. (laughs) After the third person, I was like, why am I the only person that thinks these are my mugs? And I began to realize, oh my God, maybe I'm the one that's wrong. And I felt a little bad. I was like, well, I really don't remember. And I still don't know if I believe it. But if I'm the only one that thinks this is my mug, maybe I'm wrong, right? And I had to apologize a little bit because I was a little heated about my coffee mugs. I take it very personally. And Kenny finally said, you know what? You keep one and I'll take the other one. And we parted in friendship. You know, I was like, it's good. I love my brother-in-law. He's, he's getting married, actually, this February. I'm really, really happy for him. Isn't it funny when you latch onto something you believe is so true, then to find out maybe you're not right. James 4, 7 and 10, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and then he will flee from you. Submission, humility, coming under God's word is one of the greatest acts of spiritual warfare I can ever do. Maybe I'm not right, God. Maybe you are. Let me humble myself before your word. It keeps me safe. Would you guys stand with me this afternoon? We're not going to take a long time in this moment, but I did want to just pray for each other uh, really fast as I 
close down. I really believe as, as your pastor, one of the greatest things you can do is intake God's word on a weekly basis and submit yourself to it. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. You have authority over the devil, but he will come. He will tempt and he will talk to your mind. He will always try to disrupt your life, lead it away, bankrupt it, whatever he can do. But what keeps you in a great place is that submission to God's word. So would you just close your eyes and stretch out your hand to the person to the right of you and just in your own way, would you just pray for them for 30 seconds? God, we pray for their blessing. We pray for their protection. God, we thank you that you are building up God thoughts in their mind, big thoughts, thoughts of victory and joy and peace. God, we surround them with faith, hope, and love. Father, would you come through for them? Would you level mountains for them and make crazy paths straight, God, and that you would care for them and uplift them? And Father, may they be filled with your love this morning. Just stretch out your hand now to that other person. Just be like, yo, thanks for that prayer. And Come on, right now, we just fill them with faith, hope, and love, and we encourage them to read his word. And right now, we take authority over anything the enemy would want to do against their life. We establish God's plan and prayer, and his word works. And Jesus said, I'm the rock. You can build your whole life on this rock. And even when storms come and the winds blow and the lightning looks scary, you can stand and your house, your life, we can stand and be built on this rock. And so, Father, thank you for that person. We bless them. God, we speak life over them. God, you came to give us life and life more abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you guys give God three seconds of praise this morning? Thank you. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. Share with a few friends. Thanks for helping us make Jesus famous right here in South Florida. Again, if you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love to see you sometime. Or as always, visit us online, citylift.church. Have an amazing day.